Hey there, No Labels, No Limits podcast listeners. This week we're sharing with you a very special podcast in which we share excerpts of interviews with four very different and courageous women um, who are now making big differences in their own countries. I'm going to give you short introductions to each one as we go along. If you want to hear the full interviews, however, let me tell you that all you have to do is hop on over to www.nolabelsnolimitspodcast.com forward slash episodes, and you can find them all there. So let's get started. Our first interview today is with Bobby Albano. Now, when I met Bobby, she was in an entirely different line of work than she is today. She was a CFO and has now turned real estate broker, and she shares some of the lessons she's learned along the way, and they have not all been easy. In fact, she went back to get her master's degree, and then a short time after opened her brokerage, because at the same time she was doing all of that, she also got her real estate license. So Bobby's going to share with us some of the things she's learned along the way and I think one of the things she reminded me of is that when you trade hours for dollars you will never get ahead and Bobby's takeaway was that if you're always in a job where you make a certain dollar amount per hour you're actually selling your time to another person they have purchased your time to help them build their dream so let's listen in with our conversation with Bobby You know, right now I'm I'm getting ready to open my first business, and um, but this wasn't the first time I've ever been uh, presented with an opportunity like this. Several years ago, I ran into some folks that were selling a beauty salon, and I really, really wanted to buy it. it you know, entrepreneurship is in my blood. It's it's something that I've always wanted to do, whether consciously or not. You know. And when I was presented with this opportunity, I was so excited, but at the same time, um, I was, you know, terrified because the first question I got from my friends and family was, well, do you do hair? And of course my, my answer is no, I don't, but that wasn't the point. I wanted to be uh, an entrepreneur. And at the time I you know, looked at all the different avenues of how I could do this. I was actually able to do it, but for some reason I backed out. And, and looking back, I can see that it was because the timing wasn't right. And um, so that caused me a lot of frustration. But I knew at that time that eventually that would be a, a path that I would take. And then several years after that, I was presented again with another opportunity, which was totally doable. But, you know, again, it the timing wasn't right. This time it was a restaurant. And again, I got the same questions. Well, have you ever been a waitress? Well, no, but, <laughs> but that wasn't the point. The point was I, I wanted to be an entrepreneur. And, and right now, um, like I said, I'm getting ready to open my own business. And I do feel the time is right. And it's just something that I knew in my gut, you know, that, that now is the time. And uh, so I, I think, I don't know if that answered your question, but those were the times in my life that I can really um, say that, uh, you know, I, I was presented with something that was unexpected and, you know, that's the path I took. 
So when, when the timing's not right and, and you knew and you, you waited, were there other things that gave you doubt or was it just that the timing wasn't right and you would have jumped in had it been right? Well, that's the funny thing because for myself, when it's not right, it's not clear why. You know, it's and there's no real red flags that, that jump up or anything. It's it's just that I I knew in my in my gut, I knew that the timing wasn't right, but I also knew that this was something that I wanted to pursue. It felt like I took bad advice. I I was listening to my friends and my and my family and I'll tell you, they are well meaning people. But if you're gonna start a business, if you're gonna do something really big in life and you share it with your friends and family, it's not that they don't love you. It's not that they don't want you to succeed. It's that they're, they're fearful for you. They don't want to see you fail. And I know that's what it was in my case. My friends were saying, no, you know, if you've never done hair or you've never worked in the restaurant business, then you have no business buying, you know, this business. And at the time I felt like, oh, I'm listening to this bad advice. And then a few years went by and I, and I'd say, oh, I should have done that. That, you know, I could have made it work. But you know, uh, you know, looking back now, it, the timing just wasn't right. But um, yeah, those were were the I, at the time. That's that's how I felt. I felt like I just took some bad advice, and that I should have gone forward. And that's interesting. Um, that's one of the things that others have shared as well is the, you know, oftentimes the people closest to us because they're worried for us or maybe they don't want to see you change much. You know, they're, they're more right, hesitant right. than you are. Right. And right, um, right. I remember as in my early twenties wanting to make a big change and, and having that, I mean, like my parents growing up, they were always like, yeah, go for it. They never had hesitation if I said I wanted to do something. But this one time I had this really secure job. I'm in my mid early twenties, you know, and they're like, well, I don't know if you should leave. My uncle wrote me a letter and he said, I just want to tell you the only reason your parents are hesitating now is they're just nervous. So just do what you know is right in your heart and don't look back. And, but he was distant enough and also not responsible for me. Right. So he could give me that. <laughs> but I also knew he had enough life experience that he wasn't just telling me to be foolhardy. It was a really thoughtful letter. Right. So it makes yeah. perfect sense to me. Um, it's also interesting when you think about people who own businesses, you, you started by saying you knew you wanted to be an entrepreneur, which basically means you want to be a business owner not necessarily bringing working in the business itself. So when people think about necessarily, do you know how to do hair or can you be a waitress? It's like, hmm, no, I could learn, right? But that's a little different than the goal you were setting for yourself. It's a distinction to make for us to be really clear about what it is we want. And it sounds like you were clear, just the timing wasn't quite right. Well, and then, then too, I didn't, I wasn't, I wasn't clear on my goal either. So when I was asked those questions, I didn't have an answer, you know, and now that I'm a broker, my first tendency would be to do the actual technical work that goes into a real estate business. But, you know, that's, that's not what I should be doing. What I should be doing is to be the chief strategist. Our next amazing guest is Cortina Jackson, 
I did not know Cortina before I interviewed her. Um, I did know that she had written a new book and she was getting ready to launch it. And it wasn't until we connected for the interview that I learned just how close she had come to dying, actually being killed, um, and the choice she made in a split second that changed the trajectory of her life and then those of people around her. She's since gone on to have her book made into a film. She's a podcast radio host, and she just has this amazing grace and humility and a genuinely kind and caring heart. I know you will love hearing her story, which is not an easy story to tell, but her courage and what has emerged out of it are amazing. For my working titles, the title I'm most proud of is that, um, as you said, as an author. Um, I've actually published two fiction thriller novels, and I am working on my third already. So very excited about, you know, some upcoming things uh, in my life. And uh, I have two great sons that I'm extremely proud of. So that's, uh, that's my favorite title. And the most important one is that of mom. Um, two great sons, as I said, 24 and 25. And so I'm in a very good place right now, you know, that they're, they're grown and, and I say my job is done. It's never over because they're always your babies. <laughs> yeah, you will uh, always be the mom. <laughs> that is true. That title will never go away. So I'm well, pleased. I'm, I'm going to encourage folks after the podcast to check out your website because you've got some really great pictures and there's a picture there of you and your boys and I just looked at you as a family and I thought, man, what a great looking family and smiles all around. Just yes. <laughs> smiles all around. So I thought that was great. Before we dive in on your story, just say a little bit about the genre of your books, because when I read about them, I was very interested and also um, how your own background or education in security has informed your ability to write so realistically those books. Yes, absolutely. So I've really been drawn into writing fiction thrillers. Um, the, the novels that I've written, uh, the first one, On Earth As It Is in Hell, and I always have to say hell twice because we know that the, the Lord's Prayer, On Earth As It Is in Heaven. So this book was called On Earth As It Is in Hell. The second one is called The Sounds of Silence Are the Loudest. I drew from, of course, my background from criminal justice, uh, because I've seen a lot of horrific things. I, uh, I've worked in the prison system. Uh, I was a correctional officer for many years. And um, the prison I worked in was a psychiatric prison. And so these were actually uh, offenders who had create, uh, done some of the most horrific crimes you can think of. And uh, back when I started, the only uh, thing we had to protect ourselves was a pen, an ink pen. They didn't have mace and they didn't have all of these other things. It was a pen. And your job was to, to let them know, I'll write you up. <laughs> so to write up somebody who committed murder, you know, there was no such thing for them that, oh, wow, you're going to write me up. Not and a lot so, of leverage. No, not at all. <laughs> and so I had to use my personality. Um, we call it verbal judo, uh, where you have to use your words uh, to make a situation better. I used my words a lot. I gained a lot of respect um, from the offenders because I just treated them like people. And they would talk to me um, about a lot of things that uh, 
they probably had not disclosed to anyone their feelings about their crimes, their actual crimes. I learned a lot about people and a lot about victims. And um, it really helped me uh, in, in my stories. I could really draw from those because I, I saw that people were going through a lot of turmoil, a lot of hell here on earth. It has really, uh, as you read the books, you will see a lot of these graphic depictions of different things um, that I actually could draw from life and, and actually, you know, my own life as well. So I think that's a, a good point. So here you are, Tina, as an accomplished professional. Professional, You have two master's degrees. You have two great kids. And yet you, the path to getting there wasn't necessarily smooth, even though you started really young with a dream of being a writer at an early age. Could you share with our listeners kind of that path and how you had to hold on to your dream and what, you know, how you overcame some of the obstacles? Uh, Yes, absolutely. Um, I've always wanted to write. I've wanted to write since I was in the kindergarten and um, I fashioned my I fashioned a book out of two pieces of um, cardboard and I took them and wrapped them in Christmas paper. I taped on one of the sides a piece of uh, notebook paper and I wrote a story. Uh, it was a story of UFO, uh, UFO. I, when I go back and read it, I think, wow, how did I write that? You know, being in kindergarten, not really knowing what a UFO is, but I was able to describe it in great detail and write this story. So I've always known I wanted to write. It's, it's been something in me. But the thing that I love about this podcast, um, it's called No La- No Labels, No Limits. And I, I love this because the story of what I have, have accomplished, it has not always been the case for me. Kind of what makes my story so unique is that I was a police officer at one time and I was married to a police officer. And I was of the victim of domestic violence. You know, this, this, is, a, this is kind of the step that I've come from, uh, humble beginnings, a little girl with a dream to become something and how that can be destroyed um, so quickly through, um, you know, self-esteem and, and abuse and, you know, just that whole, you know, that whole situation can really tear a little girl's dream and a little boy down. And so... Basically, as a police officer, of course, people would say, hey, you're a police officer. You should have had all the help that you needed. Uh, You could have got away from that. And, um, you know, sometimes, even most times, this is not so easy. Uh, A lot of times women who are battered and abused, they hear things like, you're so stupid for staying. Or, you know, I would have left. Or you must have liked it because you didn't leave. So it must have not been that bad. This actually furthers the abuse because there are so many dynamics that are involved as to why women stay. You know, I really believe when statements like that only confirm to women that they should just keep quiet about it, you know, because people wouldn't understand or care or even help the situation. You know, they just continue to tear down by being judgmental this way. As we were sharing before the show, before we started recording, that whole arc of victims or violence together, it can be very subtle and it grows over time so that your power kind of can, you don't even know necessarily that you've given it away. But on top of that, I want to acknowledge 
that you were also in a profession that doesn't talk about that exactly. because it puts exactly. you, well, you're weak, right? Yes. You can be perceived. So then it's, it can be a danger to you. Um, and, and there are other professions where people are held in high esteem that I know having worked with women and men, that it's difficult because who's going to believe you? Exactly. Right? So there, yeah. you're right. There are a lot of dynamics. Did you have your boys already at that time as well? Um, I did. Um, actually, I came before my boys. My boys had to finish. Um, they had to finish elementary. I lived in a, a small t- town in West Texas. And I moved to Dallas, Texas. I got married, moved to Dallas, Texas. Big dreams, big opportunities. Um, I dreamed of becoming a police officer because I'd already, like I said, worked in a prison. And so I came ahead of them uh, so that we could build a home and I could start the job. And then after they finished um, elementary, they were going to start junior high in Dallas. Or actually, it's in McKinney. It's it's kind of north of Dallas, very beautiful um, suburb of of this area. And so I was very excited and, and came to build a home. And so when they did come, here we are, we have a brand new home, new opportunities. They were so excited, uh, just as I was, because we came from a small town and, and here we are, we're, we're getting to experience some, you know, some great things in life. And, you know, it was just a really happy time initially. And that faded extremely quickly, extremely quickly. And when I say extremely, about a month into the marriage already, it started. And so my, my dreams, my hopes and dreams and excitement uh, was very short-lived, unfortunately. And that those feelings continued for many years after that. So yes, the boys were there and they had to experience uh, the abuse as well and kind of go through some of those same things that, you know, oftentimes women blame themselves for their children. And they do the best they can for their kids, hoping to give them a better life. And when they can't, this adds to the depression. This adds to the, the hurt because you, don't, you feel like you, you didn't do uh, what you set out to do for your kids and, and make life better for them. You've made it worse. Yes, to answer your question, the boys were very much involved. And abuse is a very, very hurtful situation that harms not only the victim, but others around them, you know, that are in that same, uh, they have to experience that same thing and, and feel helpless to help the victim. My third interview is with Sherry Lee Wojcik. Now, Sherry lives right next door in Canada. She was initially um, someone I was interested in when I heard that she'd gone from being a stay-at-home mom mostly a stay-at-home mom, with full-time homeschooling her kids, to creating this very successful business when she, not by her own choice, became the sole breadwinner for her family in the actual click of a lock on one afternoon. So Sherry shares with us how she made those tough choices um, to not take the easy path, but to be a role model for her kids, how she got up every morning to do that, and how now the three of them see so many different possibilities. And she has actually gone on to motivate a lot of women and teach them great skills in the online business marketing field. And I'm one of the women who can say I'm happy to know Sherry. 
Well, thanks so much, Sarah. It's uh, a thrill to be here. I love meeting um, as many people as I possibly can, and I guess that's one of the joys about social media. So it's always it's always fun to talk to new people. So, you know, how did I get started? Well, many years ago, I was a stay-at-home mom with two kids, and my husband at the time had always worked for himself. He had come from an experience of a lifetime where all he did was work for himself. And he was working for himself uh, when we were married. And I had never worked for myself. I'd always been somebody else's employee. That was just the way our family had been. And it never occurred to me to ever be anything else. I remember not even thinking that owning a business was possible to me. And I had two kids that, um, you know, were the, of course, the love of my life. And I was homeschooling those kids and spending a lot of time in family kid stuff all day. And I started feeling like I needed a little bit more adult interaction. And so started dabbling in some direct sales pieces, like a lot of moms do. You know, I got into Usborne Books because... Uh, my daughter loved Usborne books, and I wanted to find a way to get access to a lot of those books at a really, you know, less less expensive price. And so, signing up to be a distributor was my first foray into anything business like. And I quickly realized that it was okay for cash flow, but I was really doing more to make them rich than me. That I was working way too much to ever get rich. And then we went to Hawaii one year after my son was born. I think he was about four or five, four at the time. And we came home and we went to the mailbox to get our mail. And he's jumping up and down. Is there any mail for me? Is there any mail for me? And I, I had, funnily enough, I'd sent them postcards from Hawaii to each of the kids. So the mail had shown up and their postcards were in the mail. They were so excited to get these postcards. And I thought, gee, there's something there. Like, isn't there a way... Kids love getting mail. Isn't there a way? So I, at that point, started creating what was my first business, which was Mail for Kids. And it was a subscription service for kids to get mail every month. And I created postcard-sized cards. There was a picture on the front, a description on the back, and I created an activity sheet. And then I had to figure out how am I going to tell people about this? And that's when I discovered stepping into social media. And through using social media, I grew that and I had subscribers all over the world. And then my marriage started getting rocky and I thought, okay, I need. To, I, I knew that I wasn't going to be able to generate the amount of money that I wanted. It was a tough industry. Education is a hard industry. The kids' niche is, is challenging for something like this. And so I thought, ah, you know, there's, I got to do something else. And I was at a networking meeting. And all the time, this was just supposed to be part-time around my family. I was at a networking meeting and women were talking about social media and somebody in the room said, how many of you are on Twitter? Three people put up their hand out of 55. And the rest, of, then she's asked, how many of you know you need to be on social media? And the rest of the room raised their hands. And I sat there and went, wait a minute. I figured out how to use social media to promote mail for kids. I could teach them how to set up and promote their social media. And that was in December of 2009. And from that, I started in January of 2010, figuring out what, what that was going to look like. And in September of 2011, I started offering workshops to local business owners to teach them how to set up Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn. Figured one or two workshops a month would be perfect. It would take me out of the house. I would be around some other adults. I'd make a little bit of money. 
things, you know, that would be perfect. I didn't want to work more than that. And I wanted to be at home with my kids. And then about six months after I started that, uh, I, it was a Friday morning and my kids had swimming lessons. Then we would have lunch at the community center and then we would go to homeschool science lessons in the afternoon at a different community center. And this was our Friday routine. And so we got up, we got ready to go. We went out, we had our day, we were at science class. They were in the class. I was waiting for them at the community center. My phone rang and it was my husband and I answered. And all I heard was, I've changed the locks on the home. Don't bother coming back. There's a lot of hotels where we live. And then he hung up. And that's how we ended our 14-year marriage. And I sat in the community center shaking and not knowing what to do at that point. And that was really the starting point of an amazing journey that has led me to where I am today. That was, uh, that'll be eight years ago in February. Obviously, a lot of upheaval being locked out of the house with two kids and only the clothes on our back on a Friday afternoon. A week later, um, I was told by his siblings that he had left the country. And I got back into our home, but I was discovered I was left with about a million dollars in debt that he had incurred in my name and two devastated little kids and my own devastation and no income. Really, I hadn't been making an awful lot of money and serious mama bear mode kicked in and I just realized I had to just do something to figure out how to do this. And that's really where everything started. It's kind of a long, long way of getting to that. No, that's perfect. And that is partly why I think for me, you're so inspirational because, and when you summed it up and said the mama bear mode kicked in right? And whether you have kids or not, any woman who's had that, that overwhelming sense that this is not okay and this is not going to happen and mm-hmm. I'm going to do what it takes, right? Mm-hmm. Those pieces mm-hmm. there. Actually, just looking at you and our listeners can't see you, but I, I could see you just being a tough mama bear. So <laughs> I like you know, the image. You know what's interesting though is if, if I, I think if I didn't have kids, I don't know if I would have done what I've done in building a business. I think if I'd been by myself, I probably would, would have gotten a job and you know, gone back to how I'd been before I was married, which was working at a job, thinking, you know, being really excited about the opportunity, quickly getting promoted into a management kind of position, doing it for a couple of years, and then just losing my enthusiasm, my interest, and not being able to maintain it because I'm a crappy employee at the end of the day, it turns out. And I'm much better entrepreneurial, but I didn't know that. But with my kids, I had to make different choices, you know, because I couldn't just lay in bed all day and wallow in the devastation I was feeling and feel, you know, I took it so personally. Him walking out was a statement of who I was and what my value was. Because how could somebody that I've been married to for 14 years and given everything to discard me so coldly? And I thought that meant that there was something wrong with me. And if I'd been alone, I would have just gotten a job to pay the bills and stayed, you know, and made bad choices. But I had a six-year-old and a 10-year-old who were equally, if not more devastated, but who needed to get up every day and do something to see what normal might look like. 
Our final guest in today's podcast is Sally Saint. Now, Sally hails from the UK, where she's a therapist specializing in Reiki, an energy worker, artist, and writer. And to say she is a woman of many talents, I think still is an understatement. She tells us that when a person is ready to change, and maybe they haven't moved forward, it could be an incident emerges for them that to the rest of us may seem very minor, but somehow it blows up massively for them. It becomes the straw that breaks the camel's back, so to speak. And yet, as much as that might make someone feel or make one of us feel our life is falling apart, Sally tells us that energetically we are 100% ready to change when we find ourselves in that place, so to welcome it. And since our interview, I've stayed connected to Sally, and I've watched as she's gone on to create these beautiful paintings and works of art, which now she shares with the world. So I hope you'll enjoy meeting Sally as much as I enjoyed meeting her. Absolutely. And when I work on people, because I do, I do Reiki, reflexology and massage. And when I'm treating people, because I'm bringing the healing element in as well, I could be massaging an area and a situation will come out. Something, a past will come through as I'm working on. And that's the same thing of this, the memory and the pain. So I'll have a pain somewhere, you work on it and a memory will pop up. So it's all that, it's all interlaced. And connected, it sounds like. Yeah. And do you see it repeat? Are you seeing it generationally repeat? So like you said, your family couldn't necessarily help you, but you've done the work so that it won't necessarily repeat in your son. Yeah, I have this, uh, the Native American, this beautiful saying that you change things, your, whatever you do changes things to seven generations in front and behind so you can heal things. So also it's that feeling of when you're releasing for those behind you as well. So it's, it's a beautiful thing. And I honestly, truly and energetically feel every time I step forward, every time I speak for the children, every time I'm there, I know it's like I'm peppering that energy in front of my son so someone would they be, will be there for him because I'm there for. So I always feel that I'm laying these little footprints for him and these little breadcrumbs in front of him positively. Someone will be there for him. Someone will step in. Everything I do, I always feel I'm making a difference because of that. So again, in front and behind, in front and behind, you're always, you're making a difference, not just for you. And when it's a generational thing, it just feels so healing when you've had, because there's a lot of repressive females in my past. So when you open up, it's beautiful that you're healing for them as well. So isn't that a beautiful gift for the line? It's a huge gift. And I, I think especially for women, because yeah. I think we wear more cloaks. Yeah, Simply absolutely. I do. And I know personally, I do, I have, right? And then yeah. sometimes you don't even know until you no longer wear it. Exactly. Yeah. And we're continuing to work, you know, we're continuing to work on ourselves as well. So we're, you know, I'm sure that you're the same. I'm very human in saying I am continuing to work on myself because that's part of being human and that's part of growing. And but also that means that when we connect with others, we're real and that's what people want. So as we start to wind this down a bit, if you were to think about yourself at your son's age now, yeah. How old is your son now? Eight. 
perfect. I was That's thinking he was seven, but... No, he's, he's, he's just had his birthday, so he's the eight. He's the very symbolic number eight, so yeah. <laughs> that is kind of a powerful number. Absolutely. Abundance, you continuum, you know, you could just go on and on, you know, so yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, if you were able to be yourself at his age, what advice or tips might you give yourself knowing the road and what you've already learned now? to help you see things differently, maybe, or to progress, however. It's quite interesting. I did an art therapy course online, and part of it was to, you talk to yourself, and you went, you went back, and you did a letter to yourself. So actually, what I would have given to myself in the life I was in, the life experiences I was in at his age, was that everything's happened for a reason, and that you will be coming through the other side, but everything has meaning. And what is beyond it, everything you're experiencing is a gift and what you have is a gift. Because my sensitivity, I wasn't around others who understood my sensitivity. So I would be saying, honor what you've got and that it's a great gift and it will see you beyond this, but you're learning so much, so very much and hold on in there. That's a powerful lesson for all kids to have and for ourselves as adults to give ourselves that permission going back. Yeah, absolutely. And also, I do feel that when you do this work, you are healing your past as well. So any one of you right now, you can talk to yourself at that age. So go back and what would you say to yourself then? So if you've had trauma in your childhood, go and talk to that. And whichever age is pivotal to you, where you had something happen to you, go back to that age and just give that child love. You're giving yourself love. You just stopped me there for a minute because I was just thinking of all the different stages and how kids kind of evolve and reflecting like, okay, you're five, you're eight, you're 13, you're, you know, there's just so many milestones you go through as a kid and wondering in for you specifically being as sensitive and energetic as you were as a child, did you understand that you were different in that way and what it meant? Yeah, I did. I do feel, and this is why animals were immensely important to me because there was no other, my art was an outlet as well. My art meant the world to me, but the animals, because my understanding with animals is something that's just, it stayed with me. The whole of my, I always had an animal beside me, no matter what it was, I always had an animal. And that was my link to my authentic and purity was this is, I know who I am. And that was the place I was me, was with them. And my artwork as well, my art. Do you work with animals today? I did. I've got animals now. I I have worked with animals. I have animal communication. I had a horse of my own that was phenomenal. And um, it ripped me apart when he passed over because he was amazing. The communication we had, the link we had, the bond we had, even talking about it, my being. And he was there for me at the most intense period in my life because there was massive stuff going on. But I've always had this animal beside me. And horse is a personal power. So that's the, you know, the Native American meaning, personal power. And when I was with him, the, it was like reminding all the time, this is who you are. And this is what animals give. They are just phenomenal. Thank you. I agree with you. And it's yeah. uh, sometimes when you just pause and watch, you get your messages that you need. Yeah, from the absolutely. And oftentimes it's like, get over yourself. It's all good. Turn around. Let's have a snack. Exactly. You know, the, yes. Or just, or scratch me. You know, I really need to be scratched right now. So much for your head stuff. Give me a scratch. It levels everything, doesn't it? You know, get real, you know. <laughs> it does. It does. And I can't imagine not having 
I just no. can't imagine not having no. that energy around no. me. No. It makes, and it feels like a home as well when they're there, you know? And it's a wonderful gift for children as well to have animals around them too. that's it for this week's podcast. First of all, I want to say thanks so much for listening. It means the world to me that you've taken time to connect with all of these powerful women and with yourself. And I have one request. If you like what you hear, please subscribe to our podcast. If you know someone who you think would benefit from this show, be inspired by other women's stories, please share this episode and others with them. And finally, if you enjoyed this episode, please leave us a rating and review. This really helps us get noticed, and the more we get noticed, the more the word spreads so that even more people can choose to live a no-labels, no-limits, and no-excuses life. Have an amazing week, and we'll see you on the next podcast.